Welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, we bring you my conversation with healer and womb specialist Jeevan Singh. We talk about self-love, coming home to our bodies, and how to work with our nervous systems for greater health. At the end of our conversation, Jeevan shares a beautiful mindfulness exercise for personal and collective healing. Before we begin, I want to thank each and every one of you who have rated this podcast on iTunes and shared a review. Special thanks to Olivia, who left this recent review of the show. She says, The New Moon segments with Susan are truly a treat for me each month and are now something I look forward to. The podcast helps me center and set my intentions for the month ahead. Thank you for this podcast. If you haven't done so, please rate and share your thoughts over on iTunes. Okay, on with our show. Jeevan Singh is a healer and womb specialist with a practice infused with both beauty and science. She holds a doctorate of science in classical Chinese medicine and is finishing a mindfulness-based Master's of Science in Integrative Mental Health at the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. Jeevan means life force, and it is her mission to help her clients rediscover, reconnect with, and reclaim the magic, power, and life force of their bodies. Hi, Jeevan. It's an honor to have you on the show. I'm very excited to talk with you about embodiment in this episode because I think that truly being in and feeling and listening to our bodies is such a deep and difficult topic for many people. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here, Dorte. Well, one thing that I really love is that you define an embodied babe as someone who is reclaiming their birthright of returning home to their body. So it's not someone who's figured everything out and perfected their wellness regime, but in fact, it's about a relationship of self-love with yourself. So I would love to hear more about how you envision an embodied babe. Yeah, totally. And I love that you picked up on that. Um, You know, I just want to start by saying that we're all just figuring it out, myself included. Um, And really, like these practices that I've learned, a lot of them have come from self-experience of many years of me not feeling connected to my body. And it's been an ongoing process of just returning, I feel like it's almost like calling myself home over and over again. Um, and so I really like to just let everybody that I know, everyone that I work with, um, and anyone who's listening to this, to really normalize the experience of not feeling connected to our bodies um, and that we're all just on this journey together and some of us have more practice at returning. Um, And in terms of babe, I chose that word because 
to me, it's a really inclusive and empowering word. Um, you know, it can include people who identify as women um, and those who don't identify as women. Um, a lot of folks that I work with are queer identified and trans and non-binary. So I just love babe as kind of this like catch-all term for somebody who really like feels in their confidence and in their power and in their radiance. Um, and so to me, an embodied babe is really that person who's willing and open to go towards themselves um, with curiosity. And, you know, to me, that's such a radical thing to do because we live in a society and in a time where there's so much, so many messages and so much pressure to just constantly be going out of ourselves and out of our bodies. Um, you know, we see this with technology and social media and this kind of continual turning outward for connection. We see this the way that we um, may give our agency and power over to medical professionals or to teachers or to certain family members or to partners, um, believing that somebody else might know more about us or about our experience than we do. Um, and so, and especially as people who may have been socialized as women, I think we're kind of expected to be in this um, yeah, just in servitude to others instead of like serving and tending to ourselves first. Um, so an embodied babe to me just really like, you know, yeah, is that ongoing process of turning towards ourselves, turning towards ourselves um, to help cultivate trust with ourselves and with our bodies uh, turning towards ourselves as like continual self-care and self-love. And naturally this leads to having clear boundaries, really knowing and owning our yeses and our noes. Um, it also leads to knowing our pleasure. And pleasure is like a huge topic that's really alive right now in the collective. And I really think that um, to step towards our pleasure, we need to become more embodied. Um, and it also means taking care of ourselves and that not being, quote unquote, selfish. Mm. Yeah, isn't that, that's the, the shift for so many of us is taking that feeling of guilt around selfishness and, and kind of cleansing that out of the equation when it comes to actually really caring for ourselves and whether that's doing something very simple like taking a walk or taking a bath or actually um, voicing how we feel or like you said saying no to something that we really truly feel is a no so that's wow that's half the battle right there huh yeah totally totally 
Well, one thing that I love about your practice is that it's infused with both beauty and science. And so to start, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the science aspect of our nervous systems and why we kind of check out of our bodies or become numbed to some of the feelings that our bodies are trying to communicate with us. Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's a really exciting field right now, especially like um, there's a lot of research going on right now around trauma and around PTSD. Um, And I feel like, you know, every moment they're discovering more and more about why we might be responding to our environments or to our experiences in certain ways. Um, But first I'll just kind of start at a really basic level, Um, you know, probably I'm guessing many of the folks who are listening right now have heard of fight and flight um, as well as freeze. And so if we think about our nervous systems, um, which we actually have several nervous systems in the body, including in our guts, but um, if we think about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, which is our fight, flight, freeze response for the sympathetic. And the parasympathetic is often called our rest and digest. Um, These are two aspects of our nervous system that help to regulate our stress response. And so we really need, we need both because, you know, if we perceive any sort of danger in our environments, we need to be able to either pick up and run, which is that flight, or to fight, right, for survival, or even to freeze. Um, and, And so I, while I'm talking about these, and often while I explain them, um, you know, it can be easy to label one as better than the other, but to really know that it's built into our survival um, and that these are our gifts of our animal bodies. And so, you know, built into our nervous systems, whenever there's a perceived threat, so when I say perceived, it might not be an actual, you know, threat of somebody coming towards us and trying to hurt us, but... Um, But even, you know, say we're in a conversation with our partner and we start to sense that they're getting agitated, something in us might start to pick up. Maybe it's a little bit of a quickening of our heartbeats. Maybe we suddenly, um, you know, can't think straight. Or another example is like being on stage in front of a lot of people can make many people feel nervous. And so... Naturally, our bodies um, will just respond in kind of this way to protect us, which may be the fight, flight, freeze. So the fight can go towards, would be like going towards that danger um, to try to fight it off. The flight, as many folks probably know, is running away from it. So maybe avoidance behavior. Um, and, and the freeze would be, and this is something that I personally experience, is that kind of like ugh, shutting down, loss of language, 
maybe like unable to really formulate words or thoughts. Um, and then I want to name two other responses that Stacy Haynes, who's an incredible, um, she's a, I think a somatic counselor and does a lot of sex, sexual healing with clients. And she herself is a survivor of sexual abuse. She talks about these two other nervous system responses. One is appease and the other is dissociate. And so the appease is when we just kind of go along with something in order to stay safe. And so that might mean saying yes when we really want to say no. Um, and then dissociate is, yeah, just leaving, right? And so... For a lot of people, they may experience this as, yeah, just like maybe a floating away from their bodies or getting really um, numb. And it's kind of similar to freeze, except you're like not in your body anymore. You're outside of it. And so as I'm talking about these, it's kind of interesting to reflect on where you tend to go um, for anyone listening to this. You know, are you somebody that tends to go towards, maybe if you're like in conflict, you um, go towards a conflict and might try to fight in that, in that instance? Are you somebody that tends to just pick up and leave? Do you tend to like shut down? Do you tend to just leave your body or do you just go along with things um, in order for it to go more smoothly? And so, yeah, those are some ways that we may respond to stress in our environments. And really, I see, um, well, here, I'll pause for a second. I'll just say a few more things about that. Um, you know, we're finding more and more that trauma really takes our thinking brains offline. And so... When we're feeling a threat and having any of these responses, we're no longer in our executive, rational thinking part of our brain. And this is why we might blank out or why we might say things in the moment that we might not really mean later. We're like, why did I say that? Um, this is why it can be really hard to make like rational decisions in the moment. And it's because we're kind of getting flooded by this emotional response. Um, and so part of the embodiment work, looping it all back around, is to start to learn, um, learn how to listen to our body's signals and in instances where we may feel safe or unsafe and then learn ways to come back into our, um, yeah, rational minds in order to make choices in that decision. Because in that instance, I mean, in order to make choices in that instance, because really what happens is that our choices may feel hijacked when we don't feel safe. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. And understanding this and paying attention to this in ourselves, I think, is is so deeply 
useful and loving in a way to really understand how we operate and also not to judge if you recognize, oh, okay, yeah, I definitely tend to go toward the flight side of things and that's okay. My, my, <laughs> like, as you said, my animal nature has gifted me this uh, tool for survival. So learning to work with that is really powerful. Yeah. I love you just touching on that again, that like, okay, we might have this pattern that we notice that we do. And then how can we soften a little bit around that? How can we approach that with just a little bit more tenderness? Um, And I often, for myself, that's kind of like a self-mothering tactic, right? So that definitely is at the core of this work. Mm-hmm. As you were talking about the additional two types of disembodiment, the appease made me think of others have called it fawn. So when you perceive a threat, you begin to like kind of fawn over that threat in the sense of like maybe flattering them or making them feel good or yeah, pretending that you really want to go along with this <laughs> plan. Um, which, yeah, is the same as appeasing. But for those who may have heard it as fawn, I just wanted to point that out. I love that. And that makes so much, so much sense. I thank you for naming that. So also as you're speaking, it strikes me that in our current society, there may be quite a few triggers for people to to be reacting in these ways. And um, what has your experience been around the historical and cultural reasons that we as women are often disembodied and how, you know, in modern life that also shows up for us? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question. And um That question just makes me think of menstruation and menstrual blood and how so many religions um, that I've looked at and so many cultures that I've looked at revere it as dirty or pathological. You know, I can speak from personal experience that the last time I went to India, we went to the Golden Temple Um, My family is Sikh, and there's water there. It's like holy water that you get to bathe in while you're there. And because I was bleeding, I wasn't allowed to bathe in the water because I didn't want it to contaminate this holy water. And so, which is interesting because I think of my menstrual blood as almost like a holy water. Um, And so I think for as long as human beings have looked to our bodies as being um, dirty or pathological as long as our menstrual blood has been seen as um, scary. Um, You know, there are certain cultures that believe that our blood could cast spells on men, right? And so Um, I think this really all points to the power of our bodies and one reason why returning to our bodies and to um, agency over our bodies is like a really powerful thing that we can do right now as there are like, you know, politicians and different ways that, um, that our bodies are, yeah, are... 
how do I say this? Yeah, as there are, you know, many ways and many messages that kind of take us away from believing in and trusting and being in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And since you brought up menstruation, it makes me think of that time, that first time for many women when they did start to bleed. And for many of us, I suspect it may have been one of the first times we kind of felt betrayed by our bodies because the larger culture was telling us that it was gross and it was bad and it was something to be hidden. And it also was a sign that we were now kind of entering a different phase of our life. Um, no longer really a girl starting to become a woman and how dangerous is it to really be a woman in this society? So in a lot of ways that could be a marker for a lot of people when they started to say, okay, uh, this body is <laughs> is taking me to places I don't want to go, so I'm going to just start to check out a little bit here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, so many women and people who bleed that I work with have had that experience. And so, yeah, I really kind of ask myself, is, is that coming from me or did I get any messages outside of me that this is bad? Mm-hmm. Well, Something that you say very prominently on your website is your radical acts of self-love heal the collective. And I just love that sentence. And I think it's so powerful. And I would love for you to tell us more about that vision. Yeah. Thanks, Dorothee. Um, yeah, I fully, fully, fully believe this. And, you know, I was I was thinking this morning, I was like, hmm, I wonder why this phrase and why this belief is so important to me. Um, and again, I kind of think about the cultures that I come from as being very collective. Um, and so I think that, you know, in the West, one of the biggest spells that have been cast is this sense of individuality um, as being cut off from the whole. And so, um, yeah, I think that one of the most powerful things that we can do as anyone who lives in the West or in a modernized place is to start to lift the veil around this sense that you know, I'm just me and I'm me alone and I'm not connected to anyone or anything around me. Um, and so this phrase, um, my belief that radical acts of self-love can heal the collective, um, you know, come, comes also from personal experience. Um, you know, I've noticed that the more I'm able to cultivate loving qualities towards myself, the more allowance, forgiveness, and patience I have with others. Um, I have patients and clients who I work with that will sometimes have really big emotional releases. And then afterwards, they kind of, they apologize for it and they worry, um, they ask me, Jeevan, was that too much? 
And I always assure them it was not too much. And the reason that I'm able to do that and the reason that it's not too much for me is because I've sat with those places in me, whether that's despair or pleasure or really deep grief or joy or shame. Um, I really think that, you know, if we're able to carve out and allow these expressions in ourselves, then we can more easily witness them in others. And, and really, like, you know, doing, doing this deep work with ourselves and continuing to return to ourselves can't not impact those around us. Um, and from a spiritual standpoint, I really um, believe that our own work, our own cultivation work does heal in all directions. So, you know, around everyone in the present moment, kind of rippling out um, towards the world as a whole, you know, from our families to our communities to our land and our countries and the whole world, and that it also ripples backwards and forwards in time. And so, you know, whether you want to call this genetics and our ability to turn on and off gene expressions, whether you want to call this um, just like ancestor lineage work, I really believe that our own um, self-healing and self-love ripples backwards in time to everyone who came before us and then ripples forward in time to our grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and those who will come after us. Hmm. So beautiful, and I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> and so speaking of healing, you know, we've touched on um, the different fight or flight responses and disembodiment. And I'd love to talk a bit about some of the tools you've found to help people come back to their bodies and to come back home. And I think you also wanted to share a mindfulness exercise with us at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, I am so excited about sharing different tools for returning to ourselves because you know, I, I don't think most of us were taught tools for um, whether you want to call it nervous system regulation or just like being kind to ourselves. Um, and honestly, one of the most profound um, tools, or I guess I would say family of tools that I've seen is just direct physical contact with ourselves. Um, you know, there are many ways to, to return to ourselves, but I really think that touch is, um, you know, for us to touch ourselves in a sweet and loving way is a really wonderful tool to start to return home to our bodies as these friendly and safe and beautiful and powerful vessels um, and so one practice that I've personally been doing for the last few months comes from Ayurvedic medicine. It's called Abhyanga, and it's daily self-massage. And I actually just recently taught a class here for an herbal school 
um, about doing daily self-massage based on your constitution. And so um, one thing that I love that I didn't know about this massage, but a practitioner friend of mine told me, is that the most beneficial aspect of doing self-oil massage is to is the touch is that our touch is really loving towards ourselves and so you know whether this is imagining that our bodies are these like tender little baby bodies and touching our bodies the way we would like a three-month-old um whether we imagine this touch as being like really sensual and loving like we'd want a lover to touch us and maybe imagining that our hands are like the sweetest lover lover's hands um you know however that works for the person doing this work i think it's really sweet to kind of imagine um our hands as holding this ability to to touch us and the touch itself being healing and medicinal. And so, yeah, self-massage is one way. Um, I like to do mine with warm oil every morning before I take a shower. In terms of like in the moment, I really love just um, telling clients, inviting clients to press their feet into the earth And, you know, we can think about our connection with the earth and that the earth is always supporting us. Um, There's a quote that says that love is gravity. Um, And so I like to think of the gravity, earth's gravity as being earth kind of like pulling us towards her to like nuzzle into her. and that she's kind of embracing us with her gravity. And so, yeah, pressing our feet into the earth. Um, and then and a last one I'll name in terms of like tactile tools is just finding a place in our bodies that wants to receive touch. And so, you know, maybe you have achy shoulders or maybe you're having like feelings and they're located in your chest. But just finding a place like in your body that's asking to be touched and then just in that moment giving it that touch. And so that might look like pressing a palm against the chest and really giving some nice firm pressure. It might look like, you know, putting your hands over your womb or low belly. Um, It might look like yeah, giving a little bit of some squeezes to your shoulders or to your feet or legs. And so that's one thing that um, people can really do anywhere, even when you're driving, is just to quickly be like, where wants to be touched right now? And then just, you know, being able to give it a little bit of touch. Yeah, and then... um, In terms of a mindfulness-based exercise, I would love to share one that has to do with pleasure um, because I really think that pleasure is the antidote to pain and trauma and that, you know, 
It's so easy in healing to fixate on what's not working, um, to fixate on the places that, you know, feel uncomfortable. And, and so I guess I'd love to, to close with sharing a practice that goes towards what does feel good. Um, and this is a practice that people can use, um, yeah, before bed or at home or if you just want to relax after work. And so before we start it, um, I invite you, the listeners, to just find a place that feels um, comfortable for you. So this might be seated, it might be lying down. And then before we start, just doing a little exercise and releasing some surface tension. And so this will look like taking in some deep breaths. And on the in-breath, you'll just kind of like squeeze yourself into contraction. And then on the out-breath, making an audible exhale. I really like to sigh on the exhale and then like letting everything melt. And so we can do this together. So I'll take a breath in. It's kind of like squeezing everything in deep into your belly. And then ah, really like letting it out. We'll do two more. Breathing in. Ah, Releasing, letting everything melt. And then one last one. Letting yourself settle, feeling any tension drain away from your day, any worries. And then just coming into a place where you can be for the next five minutes. Maybe letting your eyes drift closed or having a soft gaze. And just starting to turn your attention inward. So you might imagine your attention being like a boat on water. And so often that boat is kind of floating away towards the outside world. Right now, we're just going to gently redirect that boat and turn it around so that it starts to float towards you and towards your inner experience. Letting your bones get heavy, feeling as earth pulls you towards her. Noticing if there's anywhere in your body right now that's still holding and just inviting it to release and soften. starting to pay attention to what's happening inside right now. There may be thoughts, sensations, emotions. Whatever is there, we're just going to say hello to it. 
let it be there. And then I'm going to invite you in this moment to find one thing, one thing about this moment that feels really good. So maybe it just feels good to be able to rest your eyes. Maybe wherever you're sitting feels like soft and comfortable. Maybe you're wearing a fabric that feels pleasurable against your skin. Maybe it just feels good to Give yourself a little space to tune into yourself right now. But whatever it is, just go ahead and go towards that good feeling in your body. Wherever you're feeling it. You might even start to breathe into that place. start to notice like what about this feels good what in my body tells me that this feeling is a good feeling is it like a little fluttering in the chest tingling sensation do muscles relax Maybe the thoughts quieted down. But just starting to give a vocabulary for this experience. And then staying with that sensation Go ahead and play with letting it take up a little bit more space. What happens when you let the good feeling grow? And how far can it grow? Expand. Taking a few breaths into this expansive pleasure. And almost like you've magnified it. Again, just checking out. What about this feels good? just going to spend the remaining 45 seconds or so just like really letting your 
being, be immersed and swim in this good feeling. Like a little pleasure bath. If it feels right for you, you might even put your hand on a place where the good feeling is radiating from. Spend the remaining time soaking in it. feels right for you, you can thank this experience and thank your body for being the vessel that contains your experiences. And just kind of bookmarking for yourself what your pleasure feels like. Then when you're ready, just slowly making your way back. Maybe wiggling your toes or your fingers before coming back. And yeah, one, <clears throat> one last thing I... I'd like to say about this is that this gets to be an ongoing practice of you connecting with your joy and with your comfort and with your pleasure. And this is one way to just be in our bodies, to become more embodied. And that's it. Wow. Thank you so much, Jeevan. That was such a beautiful practice and truly unusual in the sense that I realize it's not often that that is what we focus on, what what feels good, what's what's bringing us pleasure and joy, and to kind of retrain and cultivate that in ourselves is really a, a radical act. Thank you, Dorte. It's such an honor and a pleasure of mine to be able to share this work with you and with your listeners. Um, thank you so much. And for anyone who would like to learn more about your work or work with you directly, where can people find you? Yeah, um, right now they can find me on my website. It's flowerhandwellness.com. It will be changing in a few months, but that's the current website address. 
Um, and they can also find me on my Instagram, which my handle is Flower Hand Wellness. Thank you so much, Jeevan. Thank you for listening to the show. And thank you to our amazing Patreon subscribers who make this show possible. We now have 24 members on Patreon where I'm sharing bonus content, writing prompts, and other perks. If you find value in this show and would like to contribute $1, $3, or more per month, please join us there at patreon.com moonwise. Music for this episode is Desert Dust by Ali Burris who is one of the featured artists on Spirit House Records, a radically artist-friendly label for witches, healers, and free spirits. Check them out at spirithouse.bandcamp.com. See you next time.